everyone. Welcome to the Laying Foundations Podcast. This is your co-host, Davis Hambrick. Joining alongside me always is Walker Lott. What's up, Walker? What's up, dude? How's your day? <laughs> What's up, dude? Uh, it's pretty good. What about you, man? Man, it was good. It was a good day. Uh, it rained today. So other than a muddy site, uh, we didn't have any big problems going on. So that's always a good today? day. It did. Well, last night. It's a little right. muddy today. Throwing down some asphalt, so we're making it up. But man, today we had uh, an awesome guest. We had Ed Stelter. I actually got the pleasure uh, to sit down with coffee uh, with Ed a couple, maybe a month, month and a half ago, uh, up in Charlottesville. And he, one, is super tall. Uh, you would never know it. He's like got to be 6'6". Six, six. Uh, but two, it's just an awesome dude. It was super fun to sit down. We talked for a while, uh, an hour or two hours maybe. Uh, and, and just hearing his story then and, and a little bit more about him and then kind of diving deeper on this podcast was was super cool. Uh, truly, he's a great dude and he loves what he does and he's super good at what he does. You can tell the passion that he has for it, too. And as a bonus, uh, Ed also does a podcast and you can tell the passion he has for that. You know, he believes the same thing we do, that construction doesn't do a good job of telling their story. Uh, he just wants to get it out there, especially the companies in the Charlottesville, Virginia area. What you think of it? Yeah, I think it was really awesome to get to hear his perspective of being in the industry for, I don't know how many years. He didn't tell us his age, but he told us he had gray hair. So I'm guessing a while. Um, but it was really cool getting to hear about, hey, how he started, was in a wood shop, um, was hanging garage doors. Then he finally got into working for Faulkner and that process. And I hope people realize him painting the picture of what it took to get to where he's at. Like he talked about in the podcast that, for the young people, you're not going to be the president in two weeks, right? Right. It's going to take a little bit of grit, a lot of grit, a lot of hustle, a lot of curiosity. Um, and it's just really cool to get a perspective from somebody that's been in the industry for a while. But another project that Walker and I are working on is the weekly newsletter. We're releasing those every Saturday morning around 10 a.m. Eastern time. Um, our last newsletter was on dealing with conflict on the job site. And we've just released uh, leadership lessons, emotional intelligence, things that really help. People get better at what they do every day in construction, and it's just another opportunity to learn in a, in a written form to give people something tangible to grab a hold of. But if you don't know how to get a hold of it, go to our website, lang-foundations.com. Feel free to check the show notes out. I also have a link there. Um, but we're just continuing to grow and continue to serve our audience. We're thankful for all the people that listen every week and are subscribed to our newsletter, and we just hope to continue to keep growing. So without further ado, Ed Stelter. Ed, welcome to the show. Excited we finally got you on. Uh, this is Thank the you. fourth try of getting you on. Every one of us had a a, a good reason to push it or move it. I was going to say seven. It, so. So. Uh, it seems like it, right? Uh, no, this is the Ed, fourth time. Ed, so. <laughs> Ed, we're super excited to get to have you on. Uh, we actually got to meet in person uh, a month yeah. or two ago, which was awesome. We get to uh, learn about you before this, and now we can get to, get to dive a little bit deeper. Uh, but just to begin with, who are you, what do you do, and where are you from? My name is Ed Stelter. I'm the Vice President of Procurement at Falconer Construction, headquartered in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, I'm originally from West Palm Beach, Florida, grew up there, uh, went to school in Boone, North Carolina, go Mountaineers. Nice. Awesome. Um, and after college, ended up moving to the Central Virginia area, and uh, got a job, um, uh, got married, had, got a mortgage, had kids, and next <laughs> thing you know, here I am. Here you are. That's cool. So, Ed, how did you get into construction? So I've been, 
I've, I've always been somewhat mechanically inclined. I've always enjoyed working with my hands. I always enjoyed taking apart things, putting them together. Uh, also, my dad had a wood shop, pretty good sized wood shop. He was not That's in awesome. the yeah, he was not in the industry. Uh, my um, so I, I spent a lot of time in the wood shop. And then after, I guess, late high school, early college, I went to a local community college down in South Florida. But I started working for a company hanging and repairing garage doors and garage door operators. I did that for a number of years. I really enjoyed it. It was pretty cool because I got to see a lot of different homes and commercial businesses and industrial buildings um, and and on the home side, of course, it's South Florida. So there were a lot of track houses that were thrown up real fast and cheap. And on the flip side, you know, going over to Palm Beach and other um, areas where there's a very expensive homes, you got to see a lot of those. But and I got to see the quality and lack thereof in a lot of different structures as I was doing the in the garage door business. My last year at community college, I ended up working for a residential builder, uh, Worth Builders, and they most of their projects were uh, big homes in Palm Beach, uh, amazing homes. The quality that went into those was amazing. Uh, I just remember this one house had, I forget how many mahogany doors, uh, you know, solid <laughs> mahogany doors. I mean, they're, they're, I want to say there are over 100 of them. Wow. But the, the craftsmen, the men that worked on the site and, and the pride they took in the work they did was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, I wanted to pick up a hammer and say, hey, you know, I want to do some of this. But, that you know, they wouldn't let me. Again, I was a laborer. <laughs> I was cleaning up. I was I was actually keeping a lot of the floors cleaned up and putting construction paper over the floors, protecting them, uh, hauling materials. I remember, actually, we did one job where I had to haul. I had to lift or pull trim up uh, 20 floors from the outside balcony. We tied a rope oh, onto geez. it and pulled, pulled trim because it wouldn't fit in the elevator. Oh, wow. But I really enjoyed working for Worth Builders. A lot of fun. They're still in business today. I, I don't know anybody that works there. But one of the gentlemen that works, uh, that worked there, he, he was in a construction program at University of Florida. Um, I considered going there. I ended up going to Appalachian. And when I got out of college... I ended up, uh, I traveled a little bit, but as soon as I landed on my feet and said, okay, I got to, I got to do something. I got to start earning money. Uh, I was looking through the paper. This was before the days of internet. I'm that old. <laughs> I, I found an ad that was, they were looking for a, uh, it, I don't recall that it was an apprentice, but it was looking for somebody to kind of an entry level, um, historic restoration type job. I went, uh, met the guy, interviewed with him. He hired me on the spot. I was excited about it. Uh, didn't really know what I was getting into, but what he did primarily was uh, restored old log homes, post and beam homes, did stonemasonry, blacksmithing, um, and I did all of that. I absolutely loved it. I, wow. I love the guy and his family. Uh, I still keep in touch with them. And but I, I kind of realized that there was a little bit of a ceiling, and I wasn't going to be able to go anywhere. Um, my, my wife and I were still dating, but I knew I wanted to get married and I was looking for an opportunity to try to grow, uh, myself within a company or, or go to a place where I could grow with the company. I shotgunned out, uh, probably 
at least a half a dozen resumes to a bunch of the contractors in the area that I saw their trucks driving around with oh, nice. their names on the side of the truck. I said, okay, those are big companies in the area. Um, didn't get any responses from anybody. Um, through various channels and relationships, I made a couple connections with a couple of the companies, uh, ended up going and talking to the owner of our current company, the Faulkner Construction, and uh, he offered me a job on the spot. Um, awesome. And he said, well, you can start tomorrow. And I was like, I, I can't. I got to give two weeks notice. Right. Which I did. It was it was painful to leave um, the, the restoration company. But, uh, you know, I, yeah. I was I kind of had my sights, you know, begin with the end in mind, you know, look, look forward. So I started out there. And I was out on a big uh, target distribution center. The building was 40 acres under roof. Um, wow. And a massive, massive site. And I didn't know anything about civil construction. Um, I, I was out there after about a week or two weeks. And I, I said, I, I just made the worst mistake of my life. What did I do? And I remember even the superintendent, he got on the radio. He's squawking. He said, hey, we need a couple pans over here. And I didn't know what a pan was. I, I I thought I was waiting for a pickup truck to show up with like a cookie sheet or, you know, a pan that you cook, <laughs> cook something in. Anyway, you know, a couple of big scrapers, you know, Caterpillar uh, uh, 621s pull up and, and I realized, oh, those are pans. <laughs> They're much bigger than I imagined. Uh, but I was out there for a couple of weeks. I ended up getting transferred to a job uh, closer to my house in Charlottesville. Uh, and and things, you know, I just stuck with it. You know, things got a little better. I was working on a pipe crew and working on a grading crew, helping helping lay a lot of underground stormwater and sanitary sewer. Mm -hmm. uh, then I ended up getting transferred to another job where we built a uh, Virginia Department of Transportation project. It was cool. one of the roads in Charlottesville. I was kind of helping the superintendent do, do time cards, do RFIs, all of that. And I guess it was one spring, uh, I ran a backhoe into the back of a brand new Saturn. Oh, no. I realized Saturns are not metal. The, the bodies aren't metal. They're some composite <laughs> material. Anyway, it crunched in. And at that point, they said, hey, why don't you come into the office and uh, uh. start estimating? <laughs> oh, my gosh. No way. So um, I, I don't advise anybody to take that route. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's. It's kind of a joke. It's kind of not a joke, but I, I was haste makes waste, and I did something stupid, and I shouldn't have. But um, it, it was raining a lot that spring, and I asked if there was anything I could do. <laughs> but they did end up pulling me into the office about the time I ran the backhoe into the car, and it was just a coincidence. But um, and and been there since. So I was out in the field for about two years before okay. moving to the office. Man, that's. That's awesome. I uh, I hope I never run a, a backhoe into a car. That would be pretty, pretty Just don't terrible. run anything into a car. <laughs> we uh, I I know of a few instances of people running forklifts into some steel beams, but that's about it. That's as bad as it gets. So Ed, you uh, you start working in the field, and then you kind of transfer, you know, into the office. What was that? What was that like for you, going from every day having to work, you know, with your hands and and well, Walker, if we can, let's go back because I think it's really cool. You talked about getting in the trenches, you know, being a part of a pipe crew. I have a soft spot for the guys that do the work. 
And just talk about that because that gives you a great eye to transfer into actually now being in the estimating field. But just talk about your time. What was that like? Um, you know, I know it's hard work, but just tell for the people that, that never have heard about it or know anything about it, tell, tell them what it's like. Oh, I mean, there's days where it's miserably cold. There's days where it's miserably hot or dusty. Um, but the, the, what, the wisdom I gained being out there in the field was so invaluable. Uh, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. Um, I had, I worked with some great people, very smart people, knowledgeable people, albeit a lot of them didn't have, a, most of them didn't have a college education and many of them didn't finish high school, but they were, they were incredibly smart and, and understood how to transfer the, their information and their knowledge over to me. Um, and actually, a lot of them did. I remember this one job, this one guy said, well, why don't you be the foreman? And I said, I, I don't know anything about this. And he says, it's not hard. You know, he said, we'll, we'll, we'll show you what to do. We'll show you how to shoot grades. He said, but you're, you're organized and you could help, you know, just kind of run the crew or whatever. And I, I mean, I found it hard to believe, but, you know, these guys, they just, they just know how to do things easier and better and, and, and. I don't know. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And we had some just nasty deep excavations and it was really cool to see that, um, you know, they took their time. Um, I've never been a part of it, so I don't know what another general or another civil contractor does, but did everything safely. They had trench boxes and just like, I mean, it, there's 1.30 feet deep. Like that's, <laughs> I've never seen anything like that, but laying a, a storm sewer structure down there and just like, um, just, my grasp of seeing coming up out of the ground i've never experienced that before and it was just really cool to get that experience and so i see the guys what it was like in the summer when it's hot as crap out there just busting it getting after it and i just have a, a soft spot so i appreciate you oh, 100 now that davis kind of set that up uh, so it works better you know going from being out in the field like that and going into the office kind of what was that transition because you had guys that were working with their hands that knew what they were doing, the, the technical side of it. And now you have, you know, some people in the office who don't always have that knowledge and, and making that transition is hard for some people. It helped me understand uh, when we were putting together estimates, uh, we use uh, heavy bid and it's very production based. So if you're laying 5,000 feet of 15 inch SDR 35 sewer pipe, I can look at that run and say, okay, this is the makeup of equipment and this is the makeup of the, the That's cool. manpower. And I think we're going to average X many feet per day or per hour. Cool. Uh, and this little conflict here is probably going to take an extra two days. So we need to tack that on. And, you know, it, it was easy for me to think. And, and with regards to moving dirt, I can sit, sit back and look at, okay going to take the excavator this long to load they're going to you really need three trucks in this situation so you're not bunching up and so the excavator's not waiting so it's just being able to think i don't want to call it a third dimension maybe it's a fourth dimension or whatever yeah you, know, you, you just kind of think about it happening in your mind right so you can plan it for out the, i mean and yeah. even for the people that that don't know much about construction think about it from a the civil standpoint everything's 2d right so it's hard to imagine yeah. and you just think oh this is blind like oh, it's nothing but actually being able to to go look at the the, 
the profile and figuring out what type of equipment you need. So I'm, I'm interested, Ed, how do you figure that out? Because it's fascinating to me, like you just said, you're able to figure out what type of equipment. You don't have to go into exactly how Faulkner does it, but how do people start to just, oh, I need I need this excavator, I need two trucks. A halt. Like, How do you figure that out? How do you start that process? You have to take a look at each site. I mean, you know, the thing about our business is that no two sites are alike. Yeah. Um, Every everyone's different, and you know it's typically the subsurface conditions. You know, is it too wet? Is there are there unsuitables? Is there rock? Can you rip the rock, or do you need to shoot it? And can you shoot it? So there's a lot of things that go into that. Uh, you know, you need to look at where you're hauling to, where your fills are, where your cut is. You need to determine your your ability or your cycle times. Um, the the pipe. You know, again, you're looking at a lot of profiles and looking at the depth. And do do we need to remove a lot of overburden before we even start digging the trench? That's right. So there's there's a lot that goes in and into it all. Yeah, one thing that's cool to me, I was talking to someone who was saying that you know I, I think they they used over a, a a million plus dollars of fuel already which is like blows my mind that you just spend fuel you know that fuel that. is that much but they were saying driving uh a bulldozer from one end of the site to the other side is like a big deal because it just it takes so much gas to get it there and then you have to think about getting it back too and this is the time that you waste of having to bring this big old machine all the way around you know it's like you have to factor in every single detail of even just moving the equipment from one end of the site to the other that your your job's huge i mean i'm sure it's 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 wild to me that like i wouldn't i would have never thought of that that's not something that would cross my brain that you even have to factor in moving the equipment you know to the other end to go do some work for the day yeah, you, you you do have to figure that uh, that does take time to fuel this equipment, and you know, downtime is that, that if your yellow iron's not moving, you're not making money. Right. So, a lot goes into it. That's right. Uh, I forgot. It might have been Dr. Holly Walker, but it was talking about you know, what is the most expensive thing for a civil contractor, and obviously. Um, the equipment sitting there, that's the obvious answer. But he was always talking about, really, if you think about it, it's still a human, right? Because you have to have people in the seat to, to, to operate these equipment, to, to operate this equipment. And so um, I've always kind of taken that with me. And so going back to the people side, you know, and going back to your days of being with the guys that, you know, talked about maybe not having the, the best education. What was it like? I know you said that, that they knew how to get the things done, but you know, one of the things with the podcast is we try to address some of the stigmas, the misconceptions, and I just think so much of the people that do this work, no one knows what they do, right? They're not getting glorified. They're not going to get on the front page of paper. I mean, construction already isn't like that, but just think about these people. Talk about maybe some of the the things you learned from them that wasn't just uh, construction related. Oh, gosh. Uh, hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know there there are all types of characters out there but just you know getting their getting their perspectives on on everything whether it's politics religion which two things you probably shouldn't talk about uh, <laughs> but you know and their perspectives on raising kids or, or raising families or 
you know, I remember one guy was telling me about how he spent a lot of time, you know, his own money doing something to a, a family farm. And at the end of the day, you know, the family sold the farm and he spent all this money fixing a barn of his own hard earned money and he never got any of it back. And he's, he, he really regretted that. But, you know, there's little stories like that. I mean, that's just one that came to the top of my mind. Uh, but there's there's a lot of stories like that. Just life experiences, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Right. And again, you do look at the money that some of these guys make and their their earning potential. And quite honestly, there are some of these people that, that maybe finished high school that have been out in the field for a while and then they transfer into, a, you know, they become a foreman and then a superintendent. And then reality is some of them can transfer into the office yeah. and they, they might uh, have a safety role. So a lot of opportunity for them. What would you say for a new college student or a new, uh, even high school student who wants to get in construction, but maybe they're not like as interested by the actual going vertical, like they really enjoy the heavy machinery, they really enjoy the underground work. What is the best way for them to kind of set themselves up for success if they want to go into that type of the, part of the industry? Show up, work hard. And I think whether they're doing vertical yeah. or horizontal work, um, show up, work hard, ask questions. Uh, don't feel like you're asking a dumb question. Now you may get put or paired up with uh, somebody that's not as much of a, a that would act as a mentor to you, but yeah. you'll find that right person. Um, and, you know, if, if you're told to sweep a parking lot, or I remember one of you guys in one of your podcasts, you were talking about how your first job was to oh, yeah. take a magnet and go a over magnet the around the parking lot. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, okay. You're like, okay, do, do, do I really need to do this? Is, you know, this is below me or whatever. It, it's not, you know, just go out there and do the best job you can yep. and you will get noticed. And you, especially on the heavy equipment side, I mean, there's, there's several different paths you could go there. I mean, you could be a dozer operator, an excavator operator. Again, you could um, get into deep excavations or mass grading or rock or underground utilities. You could uh, go into safety, but it, it's, there, there's just so many. Oh, and, and then with regards to the equipment, you know, we need mechanics and welders in order to yeah, keep our equipment running. True. That is a huge, huge part of our business. It, you know, you all mentioned fuel. That we burn a whole lot of fuel, and <laughs> that equipment. Well, if the equipment's not running, we're not burning fuel. Right. So that, but that yellow iron keeping it moving is so critically important. You bring up something that, that kind of piqued my interest because I see all these different operators, you know, on job sites and they're doing all kinds of different things, excavator, bulldozer, scraper, you name it. What is the process of that? How do you kind of, how do you get put on one of those? Is there like a hierarchy? Do you start kind of in one piece of equipment and as you progress, do you get, you get to like, now I get to drive a scraper or I get to drive a bulldozer, you know, like how do you choose and, and how are people kind of switched around in that manner? I think in like in life uh, or in this business and a lot of jobs, probably somebody isn't available one day and it's like, hey, yeah. you over there. Go do uh, that. So, so they put you on it and, and you start to learn. But we do have a formal training process and we have two individuals that are fully committed to training uh, operators. Wow. And they just go around training operators, uh, whether it's hands on video, uh, just working with them one on one. So we, 
usually entry level operators are usually running a roller or a or a truck. And you know gotcha. you have to understand where you're dumping the dirt or, or spreading the dirt and compacting the dirt. And you know when you start to see the the sheep's foot compactors starting to rise up out of the fill, you understand okay I'm getting good compaction now and and understanding all the little nuances like that. Cool. Then typically they move over to dozers, excavators, uh, your wheel loaders is in there too. And then uh, you know motor grader seems to be and that and cranes seem to be the the kind of uh, the top, the top, the harder to operate. And I've seen some motor grader operators that can operate i mean back a machine up better than i could drive it forward <laughs> yeah right. thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast today we cannot tell you how thankful we are for every single one of our listeners and we genuinely want to know and learn about you a little bit more so if you're interested uh, maybe sending us a question or just saying hey or wanted to talk to us a little bit please reach out to us at contact at laying-foundations.com if you, need, if you didn't hear that, didn't understand it, you can go in our show notes and just click on the link and write us an email. Please, we would absolutely love to hear from you. Seriously, me and Davis get excited every single time we get an email from one of our listeners. It, it, it genuinely makes our day. But if you want to find out a little bit more about us uh, via social media, Davis is going to tell you a little bit how to do that. Yeah, thanks, Walker. Guys, like Walker said, reach out to us any way you can. We appreciate feedback, whether you like it or not. You know, it helps us grow in any way. We're welcome. We're, we're here to listen. And whenever you guys tell us, we're going to try to implement that into our strategy. But how to get in contact with us on social media. We have a LinkedIn account called the Lang Foundations Podcast. We have uh, Walker, Walker Lott's LinkedIn profile. We have Davis Hambrick LinkedIn profile. We have a TikTok page called Lang.Foundations. We have an Instagram page, Lang Foundations. And then, you know, that's where we're at. These are all down in the in the show notes. But, guys, we just want to put this out there and – However you want to get in contact with us, we're, we're, we're imploring you, please just reach out to us. We'll respond. We'll get back to you. And we want to hear from you. That, that You're the reason, one of the reasons why we're doing this. We want to hear from you. We want to hear feedback. How can we grow and how can we get better? Because like we said before, um, receiving accountability and receiving feedback is one of our core values. And that defines Walker and I at our core. We want to hear your feedback. And we want to be, be held accountable.